It's time for Supply Chain Now Radio, broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Supply Chain Now Radio spotlights the best in all things supply chain. The people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts. All right, good afternoon. Scott Luton here with you live on Supply Chain Now Radio. Welcome back to the show. Today's show is the latest installment of, it's not so much a new series here anymore, Lloyd, uh, an ongoing series here on Supply Chain Now Radio, one that we're calling the Vetlana Voice Series. So on this show, we're going to be focusing on the veteran community from a supply chain perspective, of course, and it's all about really serving uh, this incredible, valuable uh, community that we all are passionate about. Uh, we've partnered with Vetlanta, an outstanding organization based right here in Atlanta that's been doing incredible work for our veterans. Uh, we're going to learn more about Vetlanta in just a moment. Uh, this particular episode of the Vetlanta Voice podcast is tied in with the upcoming Vetlanta Summit, which is focused on women veterans. Uh, on a quick programming note, like all of our series on Supply Chain Radio, you can find our replays on a variety of channels, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever else you find your podcasts. As always, we'd love to have you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Supply Chain Now Radio is also brought to you by a variety of sponsors, including the Effective Syndicate, Talent Stream, Verison, and Apex Atlanta, and several other leading organizations. So be sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our valuable sponsors. Okay, so let's welcome in my co-host once again here on the Vetlanta Voice podcast, uh, Lloyd Knight, Director of International Air Freight LMG at UPS Global Forwarding. Uh, Lloyd is also a co-founder and president of Vetlanta. How you doing, Lloyd? Great, Scott. It's wonderful to be back for our third episode and here at King Plow Arts Center in Atlanta. Absolutely. It, it sure is. This has been a, uh, not only um, fun to do, but the content and the insights and the perspective has been really special, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've, we've had two great episodes, and I'm really pumped for our guests we have today. We are, too. Um, so let's let's go ahead and welcome in our special guests here today. Both are Army veterans. Uh, go Army. Uh, the first hails from the Coca-Cola Company, where she is a senior commercialization manager for the Coca-Cola Freestyle. Uh, Lillian Norton. How you doing, Lillian? I'm doing great. Thanks. Great to see you as we're sharing in the, in the warm-up. One of my favorite uh, beverage devices of all time, the Freestyle. I can get my, my caffeine-free diet cherry Coke uh, whenever my wife lets me have, have anything yeah. but water. But um, <laughs> great to have you here. Look forward to uh, kind of picking your brain here shortly. And then also Army veteran and talent acquisition senior recruiter at UPS, Dre Robbins. How you doing, Dre? I am doing great. How are how are you doing? We're doing fantastic, and uh, it, we I think we were able to uh, catch up for a little bit at the last Super Summit, right? Which uh, Mercedes Benz Stadium hosted with our buddy uh, Tyler Freeman. Yes, right. Yes, uh, we had it was the largest summit yet, almost uh, thousand people. Thousand mm-hmm. people. It's crazy, and a thousand people that are passionate about this community. That that was uh, really special. So good to see you here. Nice to see you as well. And you got an interesting story you're going to be sharing as well. So. Um, all right, so Lloyd, we're gonna have to dive right in. We got a lot of, of great things to talk about. Um, so, Lillian, let's start with you. Um, you are a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point, which is very impressive. Um, so, tell our listeners about the, the the stringent selection process for the academy. Sure. So, back in the day, um, the overall process entails, you know, applying. 
with a paper application back in the day. So now it's through the internet. Um, but you apply um, for the actual admission, and then you also have to apply for a congressional nomination. Mm. So that is a mandatory. You cannot get in without the congressional nomination. Mm. Um, and then after you do those steps, you do a medical, physical, physical fitness test, as well as, of course, submitting ACT, SAT scores. So those are kind of all the big components going into it. And, of course, just like any other school, anything that can make you stand out more, being a, a team captain, et cetera, mm. debate team, whatever, mm. um, will help you get in, especially with uh, athletics. Um, the coaches have some power uh, within the school to say, hey, this is an athlete that we want to, quote, unquote, the term they used to use was chip, mm. uh, chip in um, to, to give them a little more oomph in, in the admissions process. Mm. So I bet you got really good grades in high school, didn't you? They were okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I heard there is, is uh, as you might would expect, big emphasis placed on leadership. Yes, right? yes. Well, that takes us into the next question. Yeah, Lillian, can you talk a little bit about some of the leadership and management skills that you developed while at the academy and how they've been beneficial to you in corporate America? Sure. So at a very basic level, one of the things that West Point really prepared you for was getting up in front of others and presenting. So if you think about a high school kid going through school, there's at least back in the day, there weren't very many opportunities to get up and present. Like you studied, you took your tests, and those were your grades. But it was very little like actual getting up and presenting out your findings or your project. Um, and so West Point really forced that. In all the classes, there was what you called take boards. And so you'd get up from your seats, you'd physically walk to the sides of the rooms that they were all chalkboard. And you would answer whatever question was asked um, on the chalkboard. Mm. And then um, everyone would turn around and the instructor would pick somebody to say, okay, take us through your thinking. And so it really required you to practice it every single day, being able to go through the work, um, take people through your thinking process, and lead them to the final answer. Mm. So, of course, that is applicable. Like, they were training us for the Army. But that's absolutely applicable for the corporate environment, any, any civilian job, really. Mm. So that was, you know, one key thing. And then purposely overwhelming you with, with so much that you cannot even begin to manage all of it um, really teaches you how to properly prioritize not only your time, but in the future you learn what's important for your team as well. Yeah, there's a lot in there, public speaking, building yeah. teams, time management. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, one of the last things you mentioned there is 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 they overwhelm you because mm -hmm. that, that that's like a, a, a in critical test, especially in this this age of global business where you know we constantly are fighting fires and are being mm -hmm. overwhelmed. There's always something to do, right? Yeah. And and to see how people react when they get dumped on by more than they can right. most people can handle that, that's a what an incredible test. Yeah, I would say that. One of the big things I gained from West Point was being pushed to my absolute mm. mental, physical, emotional limits. Like most people don't ever get to that point. Um, so you, uh, it's powerful to understand your own like breaking point. So mm. now once you know it, um, it's really empowering. Wow. Okay. Um, 
So let's talk about your career in the Army. Uh, you served in a, in a multitude of positions, a lot of different locations, and I'm, I'm going to list a couple of these. <laughs> so a platoon leader in Hawaii, I'm very jealous of that, at least the location-wise. <laughs> was probably a tough job. Uh, tactical human intelligence team leader in Bosnia, mm-hmm. uh, battalion intelligence officer back in Hawaii, and then division intelligence battle captain in Iraq. Um, man, uh, so share with us your most challenging assignment and, and some of those critical lessons learned that you believe make you an absolute better leader today. Um, I'll share a few. Um, so the, the first one I'm going to talk about is really challenging because I was so green. I was a brand new second lieutenant um, in charge of a platoon. I had six very senior warrant officers under me, so right away, like, I'm feeling... Yeah. Really um, <laughs> overwhelmed by that fact. Um, and they were always kind of pushing the limits. And I had one particular warrant officer who really wanted to see where my limits are with him. So um, one of my lessons learns, learned uh, involves him constantly um, refusing to show up for, for PT in the morning. Mm-hmm. So after, you know, I asked nicely the first few times and then, you know, as a second lieutenant, I was like, gosh, he's like a 30 something year old warrant officer. Um, How can I make him show up? (laughs) So finally, after about three or four times, um, I sat him down and we did a formal counseling. Um, and, And that was kind of the point where he was like. I was just seeing how long it would take you to actually do this. <laughs> right. And so that was my, you know, big lesson learned is, you know, if you know you're doing the right thing, don't be afraid to question. Such a great point. Question authority, even if it's not like I outranked him technically, but they had the experience behind them. And so that goes the same uh, in the corporate world as well. Mm. If you've got someone above you that you don't agree with, don't, don't hesitate to voice mm. your concerns. And then the second um, lesson was probably uh, when I was an intelligence battle captain in Iraq. Um, I was chosen to be the intelligence trainer for the Iraqi army. Mm. So think about that for a sec. Um, The Iraqi army, all male. And and in that culture, women are not considered equal, much below equal. And so in my mind, I was thinking, how am I going to go about this? I need to go in and train them. Like, they don't even see me really as a person. Um, But, you know, can't hide that I'm a female. So um, went in, started really small. Like, we were trying to set up, like, a basic intelligence talk. Um, And, you know, it was small tasks, like, teaching them how to set up the computer, how to read the maps, et cetera, all those basic tasks. And slowly, day by day, it took a lot of time, but um, they started to to give me some respect. And it's through, you know, showing that you know what you're talking about and showing your expertise. Mm. Um, and ultimately, it led to um, a training scenario um, that was ultimately to get them approved to take over a sector in Baghdad. So if they pass, then, you know, American troops can start to pull back. Um, And so the intel portion was something that I scripted, like um, activities like, oh, a weapons cache was found here, or this person was captured and provided bits of intel. Um, So I fed them these bits of intel, and ultimately they were supposed to piece together 
a big picture of the battlefield for them and take action. So it was great that um, they did ultimately get there. Um, so I was really proud of them for that. Um, and then we ultimately were able to, you know, pull, pull out a sector. So really wow. interesting. <laughs> wow. That is such a leadership simulator, right? That is amazing. You can't repeat that in corporate America. No. <laughs> I'm still wrapping my head around the, um, you know, it's one thing to go into an organizational culture and you got to you know, figure it out and kind of, you know, find your path. But you're talking about a, um, uh, a different part of the world and the culture there. And you got you got a mission mm-hmm. and it's going to happen. And so, you know, really leaning in and. Torpedoes be damned. You know, this is what we're going to do. And then the other thing that really stood out in what you shared there, Lillian, is um, your uh, your tactics. You know, incremental improvement is, is still improvement, right? Absolutely. you got large, uh, very successful organizations that aren't looking for 100% gains. It's just year over year incremental. And, and mm-hmm. then after a couple of years or a couple of months, you've really moved the needle. So, so developing a strategy – for what's going to work based on the constraints, based on the environment. I mean, that that was, uh, I guess, you that's testimony to how West Point prepared you to get the mission done regardless, right? Correct, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, Lillian, after the uh, five years, you decided to leave the Army. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, Scott mentioned earlier about how powerful a transition story is. So, let's hear your transition story. Mm. How did you end up in the position you're at in Coca-Cola today? Um, so... In leaving the Army, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do, but I did know I wanted to go back to grad school um, and get my master's in international relations. Now, beyond that, I didn't know, but it gave me two extra years to try and figure it out. (laughs) Um, So, of course, one's path in life is is up to chance a lot of the time. Um, And I was um, living in Taiwan trying to learn Mandarin because I know from my grad school program I had to test out proficiently in Mandarin, Mm. and I was nowhere near that. (laughs) Um, So I was there, and then I came across an article about Walmart going into China. Mm. And this was 2006, and I was so interested in this. This was like cultural, cultural translation of a brand it, fr- it, from the U.S. into China and all the things they had to consider and change to do to be successful. And in this article, someone called a brand manager was quoted. I'd never heard of such a thing, <laughs> such a role. Um, so I started researching it um, and come to find out brand management is marketing. And so I suddenly had a new interest in pursuing something in marketing and specifically brand management. Mm. So, of course, I Googled that as well. Who are the best (laughs) brand managers? (laughs) And that's literally how it started. Um, And that led me to Procter & Gamble. And so um, I started researching Procter & Gamble, seeing, like, what their hiring practices are. Um, And I found out that they recruit at the Service Academy career conferences that are around – There are several per year um, in various cities across the U.S. Um, And so I decided I was going to go to one of those. And I was like two years out from being hireable. So I went to one in D.C., made contact with them. um, And what was so great was the Procter & Gamble recruiting team was just tight. Like they, they had everything really nailed down to a point where like they would actually keep up with you over the course of the two years. Um, until you were ready to graduate. And so I thought that was amazing because a lot of times, 
Out people sight, get lost mind, in yeah. yeah people get lost in the shovel they don't follow up with you mm. etc mm. um but coming out of school um they had a role pinpointed for me that of course i had to interview for but by then i had um prepared myself like uh going through career services at the school was was hugely helpful mm. i had no idea how to interview um, I've never heard of like the situational interview, mm. the star format, none of it. My first mock interview was like the biggest embarrassment. <laughs> um, like I, I left with my tail between my legs. I'm like, I can't do this. Jeray, the HR <laughs> is, is nodding. She knows exactly what I we're do. talking about here. Yeah. Like, but once you get the format down and you practice it and you mm. mock interview, um, with people, then you get really good at it. Um, some of the things that I learned in that process that are super critical is learning how to transfer your skills. Mm. So if you think about it, military intelligence and marketing, what do they have in common? You might say absolutely nothing, right? Um, but it was it took the, the career services and then some mentors that I kind of cold reached out to from West Point, just leaning on a network. You can't be afraid to just reach out to people you've never talked about. Some of them will surprise you and email back. Um, but they helped me transfer those skills. So if you think about military intelligence, it's about spotting the trends, doing the analysis and making a recommendation, right? To the commander. If you think about marketing, it's understanding consumer and market trends, doing analysis, doing research, um, and then making a recommendation, which is a marketing plan. So Mm. it absolutely fit perfectly actually mm. so it's learning to to figure out how you spin your story um that can be super powerful mm. so something as insignificant um that you might have done in the, in the military that you might think oh well you remember when the, the units sponsored an elementary school locally and you would help beautify their campus whatever um you can spin that into corporate social responsibility like Absolutely. it's it's like a, that. It's, <laughs> there. it's there. It's there. It just depends on how you tell the story. So right. you got to get, get good at. You got to get creative, yeah. um, and you got to learn to tell a story. And then, secondly, my biggest lesson learned was you got to get comfortable with the pronoun "I." Mm. It's no longer "we." Mm. It is "I did this." Great point. Yeah. And it's tough. And then for, that's really that uncomfortable. For military yeah. leaders. I mean, it is. It's, really it's, we came from the "we" culture. Yeah. Yeah, we were always taught to defer credit and accept responsibility. And so that humbleness can actually really backfire and, and hurt you in the corporate world. Mm. Great yeah, point. especially when trying to land a position. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, one of the things, because I think it's really important on based on, on your transition story as well as your time in Iraq, is doing your homework and researching and putting that plan together. You know, so many times, we all know folks, and I'm one of them. You jump right into do, do, do. But, you know, sometimes you're shooting in the dark or you're, 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 you know, you don't have that pinpoint plan together. So, you know, you're not making nearly as much progress in the right direction, right? So, yeah. so speak to the value of, of doing your homework and put, putting in the research time and, and, you know, you're putting your plan together. Right. So grad school, I viewed as time to actually do that. Um, so I took every opportunity I could to do informational interviews. So talking with um, anyone, really, mm. like any West Point grads, mm. anyone who would talk to me in an area that I might even be interested in, I would just pick their brains. Mm. I would schedule 45 minutes to talk to them and just say, hey, what do you, you, know, what do you like about your job? What do you mm. not like? 
um, what do you actually do <laughs> a lot of the times because we just don't know coming right. out of the military. Sure. So I did a lot of informational interviews, and that's getting out of your comfort zone mm. and just being able to to um, show that vulnerability in asking for help, which I think a lot of military folks also mm. have trouble with. Yeah, great points. So shifting gears here, I think this is a great segue. Uh, so interestingly enough, Dre, you were joining the Army while Lillian was transitioning from the Army. So uh, tell our audience you know, why in 2005 that you, desi- you decided to join the military and why specifically you chose to serve in the Army. Okay, so um, I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, and I've been surrounded by the military my entire life. Mm. My father served in the Navy, and I didn't want to join the Navy. I didn't like the uniforms they had, <laughs> honestly. Um, I have an aunt who served um, 26 years in the Army, and I was her be-all-you-can-be baby. Okay. Um, I used to play in all her clothes, all her uniforms, and that's what triggered me to join the military. But in 2005, I lost my mother. Mm. She had a brain aneurysm at mm. the age of 44, mm. and she was a nurse at the VA hospital mm. uh, for 23 years when she passed away. And so I decided after she passed away that I wanted to go on an adventure. Um, So I joined the Army. Mm. I was actually a little old. I was 24 when I joined. So I was, yeah, I was old. (laughs) Probably in in your basic training, you're probably one of the oldest people there. I was one of the oldest. I had a, it was another lady there whose son was in, I was in F Company, uh, Fox Company. I think he was in Delta Company, Mm. her son. Both of them went basic training at the same exact time. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting. <laughs> so, so in the Army, you worked in the HR field and directed a, uh, a wide area of complex administrative and logistical actions associated with employees uh, returning from Afghanistan and Iraq, which I just can't imagine doing. That had to be a tough job at times on many fronts. Mm. What are some of the lessons that you learned in that position that serve you well today working for the world's largest logistics company? Yes. Shout out to UPS. <laughs> um, my home, my new home. But That's right. so working in human resources in the Army was interesting in itself. And deploying um, the first deployment to Iraq, I was a PV2. And so I was in a small battalion, and I was helping move soldiers, um, the PACs personnel, um, through theater and back home. Um, Same in Afghanistan, only I was a sergeant at that time. So the most complex um, part of that, I would say, is personnel accountability. That is the most important part of a 42 Alpha Human Resource Specialist job is to make sure every boot is on ground um, and to make sure that every person and every weapon is accounted for. Mm. So, Well, that's important. Very important. Huge. I still have nightmares now about losing my weapon. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My first sergeant, um, he used a 550 cord for my scope on my weapon because I was a private and my weapon used to dangle in the dirt. <laughs> and he was an infantry guy, so he used to irk him to, like, no point. Um but um, being in um, deployed, I would say the most difficult part was when we when we lost um, a soldier yeah. in theater. Um, both deployments, I was the awards person, um, so I prepared Purple Hearts, mm-hmm. and um, I've been to caches as well um, when you know we had a soldier mm-hmm. 
um, medevaced out. Mm. Wow. So that was the most difficult part. Oh, man. So all that makes working at UPS a breeze. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so t- t- we talked a little bit about your transition story, uh, why you joined the Army. But when you left the Army, uh, tell us a little bit about your transition story. How did it go and how did you end up at UPS? Um, my transition story is unique in itself. Um, I was stationed in Hawaii, too, Lillian. I was in a 45th Sustainment Brigade. Mm. And at, when I was in that brigade, um, I was sexually assaulted. Mm. And it changed my perception of the military from that point on. So I was originally supposed to transition from the military in Hawaii. And they thought it was a good idea for me to PCS to Georgia, to Fort Stewart, and maybe it would kind of change my outlook, but it, it didn't. Um, so a year after getting to Fort Stewart, I pushed forward with my transition. Um, I planned a lot. And the reason why I planned a lot is because I had a whole year because I originally was getting out from Hawaii. And the transition from Hawaii, Hawaii, they treat you as a civilian the entire time versus when you're at Fort Stewart, infantry land, right? So you're a soldier every day until you get your DD-214. Um Lloyd, what was the other part? I'm sorry. <laughs> so the, the so when, I, when I got out, yeah. um, I moved to Atlanta. And so doing my homework, I found a role at a security company as administrative assistant. And I was undervalued there. Um, so I took a contract at a technology company. Didn't work out. But mm. my last day there, I got a call from a recruiter for opportunity at UPS. And that was a day to kind of change my whole entire life because I did not know I was going to three years later still be with UPS. Um, But walking into UPS was almost like a duplication of the military. It's a lot of camaraderie there. And UPS's founder was a World War I veteran. So a Mm. lot of our policies and procedures are driven off military doctrine. Mm. Um, So it felt like I was at home. Uh, quite honestly, it, it, it does. You know, after 20 years in the Air Force, you know, I, I retired on a Friday and started with UPS on a Monday. And it was strangely familiar. And the, the, the only thing was when I would leave the building at the end of the day, I didn't have to put a hat on. Right. No, no, you know, no, you know, trying to salute the flag, you know, trying to beat the flag. But um, and then when I went and I worked during our peak season at Pleasantdale, it was oddly familiar seeing pictures of drivers being dressed right dress having open rank like they're doing open Mm. ranks formation because Mm. they were being inspected prior to going out um to start their routes for the day Mm. so ups is like home Mm. and i didn't retire from the military but i absolutely plan to retire from ups because (laughs) that's where i'm at right Mm -hmm. loved it love it (laughs) um so if i can ask just quick you clearly have persevered through some some tough things with you know losing your mom early and then the experience you had uh, prior to coming here um what is, does that gumption is it in your dna is it in your family do you get it from different places what what keeps you moving forward what keeps me moving forward a is the strength um i serve a power for god mm. and i know that my mother is always with me mm. Um, but I also empathize a lot with myself and others because I always think of myself in someone else's shoes. I know how I transitioned out and I had a lot, I did a lot of homework, but I know a lot of people do not do that homework. A lot of people transition from different places all around the country and the world. And so each transition point is different. 
and so they don't know um and what they don't know i can't fault them for but i hope to be that bridge and i especially try to be that bridge with women veterans mm-hmm. because there weren't a lot of women to look to um when i first came to atlanta um i so happened to meet donna um, robinson who was brought me to women veterans interactive and to georgia military women and it then my network started to open up and i started to meet other women who were like me single parents getting out of the military getting out in the middle of their career not retiring so you don't have the retirement check coming in so you have to work you have to go to school you have to use your 911 but you have to have a plan but you need a mentor you need a sponsor to help you get there so that's what i try to do at this point mm. um because I don't, I don't want to see another woman fall. Yeah. And we're going to touch on some of the things you're doing to give back here uh, momentarily, but uh, very impressive. All right, so um, Lillian, let's bring you back into the conversation because we want to talk a little more about the Coca-Cola Freestyle machine uh, on a much lighter note, right? And in particular, the, the logistics that it takes to support that product, which has been around now, I want to say, uh, 10 or 11, 12 years now, right? Yeah. And yep. it continues to proliferate out through the market. So talk yes, talk about the product and the program and the logistics behind it. Yeah, so Coca-Cola Freestyle, um, it is a dispenser that can, it's super innovative technology that can dispense over 200 brands through mm. one nozzle. Um, and you think about it, there is software involved, there's hardware involved, there's firmware involved. Um, it's a huge infrastructure that we had to build mm. um, as the Coca-Cola company and invest in. So even to this day, we have a separate campus um, that's maybe a half a mile away from Mm. the headquarters um, at North Yards where we house hundreds of engineers. Mm. So all of that is to support Coca-Cola Freestyle. Mm. Man. That's my favorite machine. (laughs) (laughs) It is super cool. (laughs) It it is cool. We had a great conversation a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, hey, when when are you guys going to start doing cappuccinos, lattes, cold brew coffee? Mm -hmm. Cold brew coffee. (laughs) Do you have your QR QR code? Do you have (laughs) one? To make your own mix? Yeah, very cool. (laughs) <laughs> I gotta check that out. So a ton of engineering. Yeah, a ton uh, of engineering. Um, we uh, have contract manufacturers that actually produce the dispensers for us, and then we have uh, different locations that produce the cartridges. Um, so of course, the revenue stream is through the monthly program fee, as well as the the cost of the product. So those are the the ways that the money comes in. Yeah. Um, the uh, from a service standpoint, and and don't. I know you won't share anything we don't want to share, but from a service standpoint to keep it going, I mean, that that seems to be another component where you're serving. It's just more a larger relationship between the customers and the Coca-Cola company, huh? Yeah, so our service provider network is often um, done through our bottlers since they are already there on the ground. Mm. Um, So uh, they will go out when a customer has an issue and provide the service and Mm. then bill us back for it. Gotcha. So Mm. that way we don't have to, like, manage and man a huge army of mm. service providers so we really leverage our bottler network mm. yeah, so I, I went with my uh fourth grader last school year to the world of coke for my first time mm. been in atlanta for forever 14 15 years and hadn't been there yet mm. and such a unique company i mean iconic brand obviously mm-hmm. large very successful organization but what a unique story behind it and and um you mentioned the bottlers it, it's just an interesting relationship between kind of the halves of the business and and what continues and y'all and the end of the level of innovation 
you know all the all the beverages that you are introducing each year in 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 uh markets and conditions that are continuing to evolve so very impressive lots of uh, like a, a business case study there it's an right. atlanta icon yes and, and I, global I, icon I, I love going into uh, ups headquarters and of course for the summit we're, we're going to be a uh, uh going there here in about three weeks and mm. now jerry turn it back to ups we, we had a pretty big day yesterday we so, did. So we celebrated what we call Founders Day. 112 years. 112 years, wow. so, which was great. Mm-hmm. So the uh, as a um, as a UPSer, uh, can you talk a little bit? I, I know you've recently moved on to, to recruiting for marketing, mm. uh, which is great. You and Lillian have that in common. <laughs> but I know you've been really... Uh, uh, really at the tactical level for recruiting for peak season, which is the peak season for UPS runs about between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we generally recruit between 85,000 and 100,000 employees. Wow, we do. Can you talk a little bit about that Herculean effort and how HR makes that happen? So, um, yes, we, we plan. It's a lot of planning involved <laughs> and making sure we have enough people to move those boxes um, during our peak season. We start hiring for our peak season in September, um, towards the middle of end of, uh, September. So you can go on www.upsjobs.com and see those opportunities. I mean, we have mass hiring events um, as well, just to make sure we cover all of our bases. Mm. And we do have the new Smart Hub um, here in Atlanta. Mm. So we are going to need a lot of people um, to move those packages yeah, absolutely trust me hey is ups looking at any like a uh, mm. artificial intelligence to the to, to help with the uh, the hirings i'm just curious well um i'm not sure i know we have a part in our application where um i can't talk about that Never okay Never <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah but, let's not do that <laughs> no but i'm not sure um but everything all the articles i posted mm. on linkedin i know we have drones mm. that we will now be using to deliver pack mm. to help um, deliver cool. packages. Yeah, so. yeah. I was reading. Uh, it's been a few months now, but I was reading about a lot of the um, the 4.0 initiatives that UPS is taking on, where they are um, collecting millions and millions and millions of data points in ways that that, that they haven't done, and and using that in a variety of different components of the business. And I bet when you've got to hire ninety thousand people to make sure everybody's holidays are happy, um, I bet. We're using drones, AI, uh, neighbors, fr- friends and neighbors plan, whatever it takes, right? Drivers, drivers, lists, I can't say that word, vehicles. <laughs> yes, we are, do uh, have those. Yeah, we, we, huh. we're, we're starting to make an investment in that. So it's an exciting time to be in logistics. It is. It really is. And one, one more – so uh, uh, Tandrea Bellamy has been on the show before, and uh, we were talking about along these lines of really collecting and using all the data that is at your fingertips. As we all know um, – it's at our fingertips more than ever before, right? But she was mentioning how. Uh, uh, so there's a, there. Uh, I can't remember the name of the waste management. Maybe how their trucks are, you know, in every neighborhood every week, and they're collecting data points to come back to to figure out usage patterns and this and that and the other. And Tandrea talked about how UPS trucks. I mean, there's a UPS truck in my neighborhood. I bet every day. I can only several imagine that. Yeah, several, yeah, that's right. Several mm-hmm. times a day. I can only imagine the data that these trucks are gathering. To well, send back well, not to, only trucks, p- 
planes. Yeah. yeah. The, the, uh, one of the, I, I, I do a lot of the uh, customer tours up at Worldport in Louisville, Kentucky. It's, mm-hmm. our, it's our global all points hub. And they uh, spend some time with the weather shop there. And they've actually outfitted several dozen UPS airplanes mm-hmm. as flying weather labs. Really? So oh, wow. the, those airplanes collect data, and we have a like a spin a, on AWACS. Huh? Exactly, <laughs> it's it's weather data. So they they know we're in icing conditions, fog, and, and they can help you know put it into a database and mm. help airplanes mm. avoid it. That is wow, incredible, um, incredible. And I'm sure that UPS will be in action along with a variety of other firms. As as unfortunately we're getting ready for uh, wherever the hurricane heads. Um, what's the name of it? Dorian. 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 Yeah. So. Um, so our friends in Florida, our par- our uh, prayers and wishes, best wishes are, are with you, and, and you know, a lot of great firms. And the UPS does a lot of work uh, with with uh, groups like Allen Aid and, and others that are go into these zones, and and uh, when others can't, to take care of them in times of natural disaster. So hopefully everyone will back down the please. hatches. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's switch gears here. Uh, once again, that's that's our phrase of the day. I think. Uh, so Lillian and uh, Jure, what advice would you give? And let's start with Jure. What advice would you give uh, to anyone, but in particular to young females who are contemplating uh, joining the military? My advice would be to find a woman who will mentor you. Mm. Um, My best advocates in the military were senior non-commissioned officers um, who were just like me at that point in their career. Like Mm. They always mentored me and took me under their wings, and they made sure that I was prepared for promotion board. So I would say find a female a female senior non-commissioned officer um, even before you join the military mm. because they're at the recruiting stations mm. um, and find them to mentor you. Mm. Great great advice. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, I think this is the fifth or sixth show we've done this week, and it seems like mentorship has been one of the common themes. Right, You can gain so much. And, of course, Lillian was talking about informational interviews, which mm-hmm. it, it may be kind of a, a mentor in a minute approach, but still you're gaining from others and others' judgment and experiences. So, Lillian, what about you? What, what, um, how would you advise folks? I guess as I think back through, you know, going in and then going through and then transitioning out, um, Go in with eyes wide open, knowing that you are going to change significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's a huge process. You go from being a civilian to military. Like, it was very physically different, emotionally different. And I think being female, it's it's even a harder transition than than being than your male ca- counterparts. Um, you know, you go through and you're trying to become part of this brotherhood. So mm. you're hiding your femininity. Mm. You're hi- hiding your personality in a lot of cases. Um, anything that can make you stand out in a non-conformative way. Mm. And you start to build up many layers of armor just to survive and to fit in and mm-hmm. be accepted. Um, and so that changes you quite a bit. Like, I think some of the things that can make you more effective in the corporate environment. So thinking about being empathetic, being vulnerable, those are the things that you're, you try to beat out of yourself going through the military. Like I can't show any um, vulnerability at all, or, you know, you're going to be seen as weak and Mm. you, you already stick out as it is (laughs) being (laughs) one of few females in a unit Mm -hmm. oftentimes. So it's all about fitting in. Mm. Um, And so just, Understanding that when you get out, you might 
feel a little awkward, like mm. not really knowing where you fit in and not sure how to find your, your true self. Mm. And that's really what um, the topic for this Vetlana is about, mm. um, understanding that higher order um, self-actualization mm. part of you. Because mm-hmm. we often talk about, you know, the tactical transition, like it did this, I did this, and, th- and I did this, and this is how I ended up in this job. But we don't often talk at all about you know, how did I change as a person? Mm. Um, so really focusing on that and just going in, knowing that you're going to go through some, some real changes. So if I quick follow up on, on what y'all shared, especially what you just shared there, Lillian, uh, because I think as veterans, we don't want to be a victim. We don't want to yeah. raise our hand and say, Hey, uh, I need mm-hmm. help. And, and we know some of the challenges that our, our fellow veterans have, have experienced in their transition. And, 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 you know, that's part of the reason why the resources don't meet the folks that need them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how, um, how do we engage that and, and so that we could better help and make sure the resources are reaching those that really need it? You know, how, how can we get past what, how we're taught? Because we're going to be invincible, right? We've got to get the mission done. We don't want to show vulnerability. Mm-hmm. How can we address that? Any thoughts? So I wasn't planning on talking about this, but um, I, too, was sexually assaulted mm. in Bosnia mm. when I was deployed. Um, and honestly, I, I didn't I, – I, it doesn't define me. I mm. moved on Absolutely. with life. You're a survivor, um, not a victim. Yeah, I, I, I really just compartmentalized it. Um, and it wasn't honestly till starting to work on this Vetlana summit when I started back in March that I started to do the self-reflection, um, thinking like, what did I actually go through? Mm-hmm. And I'm just now dealing with it. It takes a long time. <laughs> um, and that was, that happened in 2002. And so it's been a while and I've shoved it into a back corner. I'm you know, functioning, I'm driving on and like nothing's going to impact me. Mm. But at the same time, it's back there. Like mm. I didn't deal with it. Mm-mm. I let the, I let it out of the box this year. Um, and so now I'm dealing with it. Mm. Wow. Yeah. This is the stuff that women that are, that women in the military go through. And just like you said, you have to keep pushing forward. And so you don't deal with it. You have to, I had kids, I had a career, I had a lot going on. So it wasn't something that I could go get counseling for immediately. You know, I didn't deal with mine to this year as well. And Emory's veterans program helped me be able to tell my story, tell that part of my story, Mm -hmm. because it defines who I am today. And that's the reason why I'm such an advocate for women veterans mm. because we don't tell that part of our story and it's a common bond mm. between a lot of us and we don't talk about it mm. and, and it i think that's what about. helps it like i think talking about it removes the taboo it does. and that's what helps to go and get the help like it gives you strength yes it, it empowers you to tell that part of your story yes yes um I am trying to find the right words, and I'm not going to find them. That's okay. It's okay. (laughs) But I'll tell you, you know, y'all are um, incredibly brave, and uh, my hunch is that other folks are going to hear y'all's testimony and hear your experiences, and they're going to feel empowered to own it and and, and get past some of the things that do take place in in the military or, or outside the military. And, um, and I, I, I just think y'all are that, that it takes, I can only imagine how much courage it takes to share and to 
get past and to continue to succeed in life when you've had these experiences. So I, again, I, I can't find the right I, words, I, I, but I can't find the right words. So the, uh, well, just as you said, shift gears. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. Cause I'm not going to do it justice. That's mm. for sure. Mm. So, but we, we talk about a, uh, let's talk a little bit about people. So the, you know, I'm an air force first sergeant and, and our motto is people are our business. And one of the things I've admired from watching you both, because I've known both of you for some time now, is your passion behind people and helping people out. And uh, Jure, I, I know you're p- passionate and you're involved in a, uh, a lot of different organizations in the Atlanta community. In our last podcast, we talked about Four Block, mm. where you're an instructor. Uh, but in addition to that, you have also started a local chapter of Women's Veterans Interactive. Can you talk a little bit about a, uh, your volunteerism and the mission of the, uh, that group? So Women Veterans Interactive is a it's an actual nationwide um, organization founded by Ginger Miller. Um, she's based out of D.C. Um, she founded this organization because when she transitioned out of the military, she faced homelessness and she had a husband and she had kids. Mm. And it is hard to find resources. So out of that, it birthed this organization. And so... Here in Atlanta, we're going to duplicate those efforts. So the efforts that we have, we have a transition space. Um, we also have a uh, where we operation uh, safety net where we say I say save, but we help our sisters because it takes one to help another, and it's being of service after service. So we have this program. If a woman veteran calls and she says, for instance, I had one of um, a, a local woman veteran here. She was living in the back of her, well, she had her children in the back of her Honda Pilot, and she was running from her husband with post-traumatic stress syndrome, and she told her kids, we are just camping, and so that's where WVI comes into play, so I got the call, and I don't, because we are such a new organization to Atlanta, even new, new to Atlanta right now, um, I had to rely on um, our national, our national office to help but the money came and she was able to be placed immediately. And there are not a lot of organizations that even have space for a woman with children. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. There are a lot of organizations that house veterans when they're facing homelessness. It's the children. And women veterans with children are not going to identify themselves as being homeless. So it takes one of us, Lillian, you get a call. You call me. We're there, WVI. Um, to help that that woman Um, and there are a lot of different organizations here to do that but WVI also has a focus on the um, working in DC um, on ginger testifies before the um, national committees and things um, that target women veterans so that's what we're going to do here at the local level in Atlanta so we're going to be of service after service and in service to women veterans Um, and so you can reach out to me um, directly or you can Google it and find our <laughs> information. But that's what we plan to do here, um, just being helping. Mm. Yeah, very good. Mm. The, uh, we, we had a, um, uh, one of our early summits. In fact, it was the second summit Coca-Cola had hosted. We had former Sergeant Major of the Army, uh, Ray Chandler, attend. Mm. And a, uh, he uh, brought something to our attention that shocked me. Women veterans are one of the uh, fastest rising 
a uh, sectors or, 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 or groups uh, that are, are finding themselves on the street. And that's just tragic. We as a country need to identify the problems and get down, get out there and get involved and, you know, start up groups like Vetlanta, the Women's Veterans Interactive, or get involved with the United Way. Mm-hmm. Get involved in, mm-hmm. in something that can help because, you know, donate your your money is great, but but get out there and, and donate your time. Deeds. So I'm, time. I, yeah. mm-hmm. De- it, deeds, as John Phillips, mm-hmm. one of our co-founders, says, yeah, deeds. Not words. Not words. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm proud of you. Thank so it's you. A, I, I, it's been a pleasure to watch you over the last couple of years in the year. Yes, absolutely. I, lots of pride. Um, I, it, it's such a special thing to see veterans do what they do in the uniform, and then if they did transition, the service doesn't stop. And it's such uh, it, it's so inherent into uh, uh, in our community. So uh, very admirable. So Malcolm, who leads the research team here at Spotchnow Radio, just shot me a note. Women. VeteransInteractive.org is the URL, mm-hmm. right? That's correct. Uh, that Dre is talking about. So WomenVeteransInteractive.org. And I need more women. I have had three meetups, and I've had, like, less than ten women. But I think that this is essential mm. for Atlanta um, for us to get together. And it's not just for social change is to connect with each other as well peer-to-peer support having that network mm. is so important it is. Mm. I, I can tell the network when and you've heard me tell the story before when when I, I left the air force i retired i was really successful i started ups i was really successful at ups i got promoted three times in my first four years wow but there was something missing right there was something missing and really that what was missing was that network you know that in, engaging with my brothers and sisters at, at arms so please come out and support this cause it's it's a great cause i i believe in it and i believe in you thank you lloyd and we can find you on linkedin you Dre. can we yes. want to make sure that uh, <laughs> folks that want to be part of that meetup and be part of that network be part of the, the service initiative or help or to get more information they can do so either via the url which we'll put in the show uh, show notes or uh deray robbins at, on linkededin right? yes that's correct great so, Lillian, I know you're a passionate volunteer as well, and uh, we just ran into each other at Veterans Empowerment Organization, yes. which is a homeless shelter here in Atlanta, uh, started by a, a, a real hero, uh, Franz Fortune. In addition to being the outreach director for real, the, real huge hero, hero. Yeah. wow. In addition to being the, the outreach director for the local chapter of Team Red, White, and Blue for two years and volunteering at Veterans Empowerment Organization, which we talked about what that does. Uh, you're quite involved in supporting military veteran activities at Coca-Cola. I'm thrilled Coca-Cola is once again hosting the Atlanta Summit and is excited to announce this will be our first ever summit, as we talked about, dedicated to women. Woo-hoo. And, and we, we, and we uh, Moving uh, up, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so happy about that. You know, we, 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 we've, we've thought about it and, and, and looked at it, and we just found the right – you know, everything came together for this one. Yeah, so I know Coca-Cola you- has a huge emphasis um, strategically on on investing in women from everything we do, um, whether it's like microfinance internationally. Um, but it's a it's a huge um, bet for us um, to always invest in women. So it, it lined up really well with the topic for us, and so we jumped on the opportunity to do it. Yeah, that's great investment in women, and you've invested in veterans mm. for forever. I yep. love to hear. Tell us a little bit about the Coca Cola story in veterans mm. and serving the military. Mm. 
Um, so, I mean, Coca-Cola has a, a really long history um, with supporting veterans. Uh, it started with the, the commitment back um, in the wars when um, we decided to deliver every service member overseas uh, Coke for a nickel. So that really helped to expand our logistical footprint overseas and really help to make Coca-Cola a global brand. So that story in itself is super unique. Mm. Um, now um, I'm very active in the BRG, the business resource group at Coca-Cola. So um, our focus is trying to, you know, be part of the diversity inclusion of, of the company, but also try to improve um, the the experience of veterans within Coca-Cola. So most of our uh, veterans are actually out in the field, like in the, the DCs, the warehouses, et cetera. Um, so, so there's actually not that many at the headquarters that are, that are super active. So um, this year we've de- decided to strategically pivot a lot of our resources outward facing to where they are. Um, so we're focusing less on doing activities at the headquarters level, and we're really um, focusing, you know, sending packages out to these um, field branches to really get them started. So that's kind of a big strategic shift for us. Yeah, very cool. So I know you've been really involved, Coca-Cola and Ventland has been working really, really hard. Uh, Amy Stevens and John Phillips and Lillian and David Wanamaker a, uh, for this next a, uh, summit. Can you talk a little bit about the McKinsey uh, uh, workshop that's going to be going on and mm. and, and how a, uh, this team came up to this idea of this workshop? Yeah, um, so I actually, um, back in March, when, when I found out that we were going to host, um, I started thinking, well, what is the topic going to be? And so it could be so broad. Um, and I was invited um, to go to uh, the Mission Continue Summit, um, Women's Leadership Summit in D.C. And that's where you know, really started to open mind about this, the topic and where we needed to land with the overall summit. Um, Cause it was there where everyone was talking about, you know, this idea of like women veterans and the difference in our experience and building up this armor and taking it off. And so that's where I kind of shaped the overall concept and theme into something that we could actually tackle in like an hour and a half. Um, and McKinsey was there doing uh, a similar workshop. Um, so uh, I went through it. I thought it was awesome. So I just hit them up right then and there. I said, hey, you know, would, could we um, stay connected? I'd love to have you at this Atlanta summit in September. And so we've stayed connected and we're able to make it happen. Um, and so uh, the workshop is going to be awesome. Um, it's going to be women veterans as well as women from uh, the women's BRG within Coca-Cola. So bringing women veterans together with uh, women from a large corporation to learn from each other. Um, But the topic is going to be, the first part is going to be finding your North Star. So going through an exercise to figure out, you know, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what is your authentic leadership style. So finding your authentic self is that first part. Um, And then the second part is um, mentorship mapping. So networking with a purpose. So figuring out, you know, laying out the names and boxes of of your people and figuring out where you're strong and where you're weak and then figuring out your plan for going and and networking with a purpose. So both, I think, super helpful for anyone. Um, And I would love to see everyone registering and, and signing up and attending those. Count me in. 
<laughs> yeah, and if you want to register, just go to uh, Google and type in Vetlanta Eventbrite, and a, uh, you can you have the opportunity to register. Do it quickly because we're going to fill the capacity. I think we're we're targeting. F- 400-ish? Wow. Or five. I, I thought it was five. Is it for the main program, yes. When is it? September 25th. Okay. And is there a fee? To no. Wow. So, so Vetlanta yeah. events, uh, yeah, we don't. We are chartered never to collect any money and right. never to give any money. So it is focused on collaboration on the network and a uh, you know making this region the the best region in the entire country for veterans and their families to work with. And while the the topic is women veterans, I really want to see a strong turnout from mm. all yes. the guys as well. Like this is a time when you can come and actually hear about real and raw experiences and and learn from them. So I'm, I'm learning. I, <laughs> so I, I the, the one great thing about a uh, Vetlanta is 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 uh, being the president. I learned so much. And, a, uh, you know, you think being the president, you're going to spend 100% of your time leading. And, and the fact is I, I spend a majority of my t- time following and, and learning. And I've learned so much from the two of you, from Amy Stevens, who's, who sits on our board. And I'm really looking forward to this next event. And then I'm looking forward to doing the second uh, women's uh, summit. Yeah. Mm. yeah. A lot of stuff going on. And, and plug in a lot of the great resources little and what you just kind of walk through there uh the, the the learning opportunities are so it's practical and it's very actionable mm-hmm. right it's not conceptual it is hey this is going to help lean in and learn and then apply love it love it sounds like a, a wonderful opportunity okay so lloyd uh what else does vetlana have in store for this event and we, we i think we've Already talking. Yeah, we've, we've covered this event. We, uh, I'm spending a lot of my time a, uh, planning a, uh, Vet Talks. Mm. And Vet Talks is going to be a uh, Veterans Day a, a week. And it, it is uh, the veteran version of TED Talks. Okay. And it's a, uh, the Veterans Administration puts it on. Atlanta is going to start it in Atlanta. And I'm really proud to say the very first one is going to be at UPS Corporate Headquarters. So keep your eye out on that. We're going to have some great speakers. And I am spending so much time <laughs> putting this together and finding yes. speakers. And I raised my hand for this one to, to micromanage the heck out of it. And I uh, know what that feels Yeah, like. I know exactly. You know what? And they... Uh, and you know what? The summits, you know, getting off topic here, switching gears. So the, the, the summits are, are really cool now to sit back and watch other people organize and plan mm. them. Because, you know, the first three years, I kind of did them all by myself. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of did everything. And, and I really laugh. And Scott's heard the story. The, the very, uh, you know, first summits, my, my wife and uh, Suzanne and my administrative uh, assistant, Stella, showed up for every one of them. Mm. And uh, that was because they needed to fill the seats. <laughs> and, and a, uh, well, I and think I helped plan the very first summit um, you, you did. in 2014. Yeah, you I did. got wow. the food for it, got the room. I, you, you know what? And, I, and I, have a, I have a picture of that. It's a really blurry picture. I think I took it on a, a Blackberry. And, 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 and a Blackberry? On a Blackberry. And there was probably, <laughs> there was about 20 of us there from maybe about a dozen different organizations. And, and I snapped a picture and 
I would have never guessed in a million years that, you know, five and a half years later, we'd be having an event at a stadium that didn't even exist yet, <laughs> you know, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, uh, with with the governor of Georgia as our, as our keynote. And, and now, you know, here we are five and a half years later, and we're back at Coca-Cola for mm. the fourth time. So mm. I love it. And we have the Batlanta Voice podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You know, so we've talked about Mercedes-Benz a couple times now. It's probably important to note how big of a supporter uh, Mr. Blank and, and the Falcons. Steve and Cannon. Yes. Yeah, Steve Cannon, Cannon uh, who's the uh, the president of the AMB uh, family group of business, is a former Army, a mm-hmm. uh, West, West Point, Point grad. Mm-hmm. And he is also sits on the executive advisor committee mm-hmm. for Atlanta and I can tell you it's it's deeds as we mentioned before, and I'm I'm yeah so proud of uh, what a, uh, Mr. Blank and and Steve have mm-hmm. done in this community to mm-hmm. support veterans. Absolutely, huge. All right, so uh, one of the URL we can share with folks is vetlanta.org, right? For mm-hmm. a variety of things. Yeah, vetlanta.org. You know, we also have a. Uh, uh, a, a written version of the uh, voice, which got started several <laughs> years ago. So if you're interested in signing up for that monthly newsletter, just visit vetlanta.org and mm. sign up for our email list. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, that, we could spend a couple more hours. We're all passionate about things, a, lot, a lot of things we spoke about. Lillian, were you going to add one more thing? Mm-mm. Okay. No, all right. Well, make sure. Hey, we don't cut anybody off here <laughs> on Splash Now Radio. All right. So want to thank, again, uh, very, uh, huge Thanks. Very grateful for having both of y'all on, uh, Lillian Norton with the Coca-Cola Company and uh, Dre Robbins with uh, UPS. Really, um, thanks for sharing um, uh, very powerful testimony. And, and, and beyond the experiences, the best practices and the insights y'all have shared, I think, are, of course, are applicable to veterans that are um, either in their transition or, or, or thinking about their transition Really, I think it's applicable to anybody in career as they're trying to find that right opportunity to come out of college or come out of high school, what have you. So thanks so much. As busy as y'all both are, right, uh, for taking time out and sharing. Thank you. Thank you. you bet. Lloyd, another great show. Another. I can't wait to the next one. <laughs> and and we're looking at time frames. So it, uh, probably just a, a few weeks away. But appreciate for every, all that you do. You know, beyond the, the podcast stuff is probably your, one of your easier things, but the events and the, the, and the initiatives and uh, out in the streets fighting homeless issues that you know you name it. I mean, you're you're all about deeds and not words, which and is you're, impressive. You too, brother. You're right there next to me, so I appreciate it. You bet. Always a pleasure. Okay, uh, and that was Lloyd Knight, director of International Air Freight LMG at UPS Global Forwarding. Also, as we all know, Lloyd's a co-founder and president of Vetlanta. So. Uh, no shortage of things to tackle, but we're going to wrap up today's episode with a, just a few final no- announcements. We always want to invite our audience to come out and check us out in person at different events that where Supply Chain Radio is going to be broadcasting out in industry. Uh, so we're going to be in North Charleston on September 12th and 13th at the uh, Automotive Industry Action Group in the South Carolina Automotive Council Supply Chain and Quality Conference. Whew. As a mouthful. Um, but it's going to be all about the world of automotive. We're going to be sponsored by the Effective Syndicate. We're sitting down with folks uh, from Volvo, uh, Bosch, IBM, uh, and it's a place to be. So you can learn more at, on our events tab on our website, supplychainradio.com. Um, and then we're going to be back in Atlanta on October 9th at uh, Jason Moss's and the GMA's Georgia Manufacturing Summit. Jason's also a proud uh, Air Force veteran. Uh, he's got about 1,000 people coming out on October really? 9th to celebrate wow. manufacturing. Good job, Jason. 
uh, keynotes from Kia and um, uh, P&G and uh, Tandrea Bellamy is going to be on our panel, uh, Trends of Track and Supply Chain, along with three other supply chain leaders. So really excited about that. Uh, November, I'm sorry, no, October 9th, and you can learn more at GeorgiaManufacturingAlliance.com. Uh, we're going to be in Austin, Texas with uh, EFT, the Logistics CIO Forum, uh, November 7th and 8th. And, and then it's going to be holidays, and then the calendar's going to flip, and in February we're going to be in Vegas at working. Working hard. What day is that? <laughs> <laughs> Reverse Logistics Association Conference and Expo out in Vegas in February. And then finally, we're really proud of our uh, partnership we have with Modex 2020, which is one of the largest supply chain trade shows in the country, uh, or actually in North America. 35,000 people they're targeting to come out to Modex 2020. We'll be broadcasting live throughout the four days and uh, they're hosting our 2020 Atlanta Supply Chain Awards at the Georgia World Congress Center. So we're really excited about that. UPS had a big role in making that happen in 2019 and uh, really excited to, to grow a little bit in year two. Okay, once again, we got to thank our, our guests. I mean, folks are busy, especially this time. We're talking about the, the 9,000 people that I think Jure is single-handedly. Appreciate y'all. Th- this is this is um, one of the, my favorite things to do, and in, in, in as an entrepreneur, but as a veteran, uh, you know, putting a spotlight on, on a lot of what y'all shared. So it's very meaningful, and hopefully our audience enjoyed it as much as I'm sure Lloyd and I did. But big thanks, uh, Dre Robbins again, UPS, Lillian Norton with the Coca-Cola Company, and my co-host Lloyd Knight with UPS and Vetlanta. All right, so be sure to check out other upcoming events, replays of our interviews, other resources at SupplyChainNowRadio.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, all the leading sites where podcasts can be found. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. On behalf of the entire Supply Chain Now Radio team, first off, go Tigers, beat Georgia Tech tonight. But this is Scott Luton wishing you a wonderful week ahead, and we'll see you next time on Supply Chain Now Radio. 